Pasuk in this week's parsha says, "Vahayel lechem lemishmeres arabas aryom lachodesh azev v'shachdu also kol kahal adas yisrael bein arabayim." The carbon pesach. The carbon pesach was actually slaughtered on the fourteenth of the month, but they kept it for a couple of days. But if you look carefully, the pasuk says, "V'shachdu es kol kahal adas yisrael." Every single Jew was called upon to shecht the carbon Pesach. Now there's an obvious problem with this. How many millions of Jews are there? Every single Jew is going to shecht the carbon Pesach on, on, the, on the 14th? Obviously that's a, it's physically impossible, right? And not only that, does every Jew know how to shecht? Right? So the Gemara learns from your halacha, probably halacha that you're familiar with, the halacha is that there's such a thing called shlichus. What does shlichus mean? It means that you can appoint someone to be your messenger to do something on your behalf. And the halacha is shlucho shel adam kamosa. Girls have heard of that phrase before, shlucho shel adam kamosa. It means that when the shliach does it, it's like you did it. Okay? So you can appoint someone to shech the carbon pesach on your behalf, and it's like you did it. The question is, of all of the places in the entire Torah that we could learn out the concept of shlichus from, why specifically do we learn it from Karben Pesach? There's, a, there's another question that we have to ask in order to answer this one. Hashem appoints Moshe to be his shliach to go and take Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. This is going back a couple of parshios. And Moshe Rabbeinu responds. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu have a back and forth. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu says, you can't send me. You have to send my older brother. I'm an Arel Svasayim. I'm not a good speaker. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu gives a lot of different arguments. There's one argument that Moshe Rabbeinu makes. It's the first argument that Moshe Rabbeinu makes that makes very little sense. Listen to the Pasuk. Vayomer Moshe El HaElokim. Mi anochi keelecha el paro. Who am I that I should be the one to go to paro? That I should take the children of Israel out of the land of Mitzrayim. Mi anochi. Who am I? HaKadosh Baruch Hu responds, Vayomer kiyemach. I'll be with you. Vizelecha os. And he gives him a sign. Kianochi shalachticha. I'm going to give you a sign that I'm the one that sent you to take Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. You know, if somebody tells you you can do something, maybe you can and maybe you can't. Right? If somebody says to you, um, do me a taiva, I want you to dunk a basketball. You might look at that person and go, I can't dunk. I'm a five foot three Jewish girl. <laughs> I could play Machanayim with the best of them. <laughs> I never played Machanayim, but I heard about this game from my wife. <laughs> right, and every time I give this year, the girls go, I love Machanayim. <laughs> and every guy goes, I still don't know what it is. It's like some sort of like Jewish female version of like dodgeball or something. Don't, don't, let's not, we don't need to. So you say, I can't dunk. I know you want me to, but I can't. If a Baruch Hu comes to you and tells you you can, 
What's the correct answer? I guess I can. So what, what is Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Mi anochi. Who am I that I should be able to take Klai Yisrael and Shrayim? You know who you are? You're the one that HaKadosh Baruch Hu just told. You can take the children of Israel out of the land of Mitzrayim. And not only that, but if you look at Hashem's response, what does Hashem say? Vayomer I'll be with you. So, what's Hashem's answer? Really, you can't do it. You can only do it because I'll be there with you. So did Moshe Rabbeinu take Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim or not? It's not so obvious now when you look at the Pesukim, right? So I saw a beautiful vart. In order to understand this, you really need to go back to Parshas Vayigash. Yaakov Avinu is afraid to go down to Mitzrayim. And what does Hashem say to him? Anochi ered imcha Mitzrayma, I will go down to Mitzrayim with you. Va'anochi elcha gamalo, and I'm going to be the one to take you out. Anochi, that's the key word. I go down with you, I'm the one that's going to take you out. When Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, mi anochi, he's not saying what we thought he was saying. Who am I? What do you mean, who am I? Hashem just told you who you are. He's saying something else. I know that you promised Yaakov Avinu that you were going to take Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. How did I get involved in this? In other words, if Hashem is saying, I'm going to take you out of Mitzrayim, and now Hashem comes to Moshe and says, you're going to be the one to take them out of Mitzrayim, what's Moshe Rabbeinu's question? How could I be the one to take them out of Mitzrayim when you promised our great-great-grandfather, Yaakov Avinu, that you were going to be the one to take them out of Mitzrayim? And here HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes and he says something phenomenal. I will be with you. What does that mean? What's the greatest shevach that a servant of the king can give to the king? The greatest shevach that a servant of the king can give to the king is that when you see the servant of the king, you don't see the servant at all, you see the king. I'll explain what I mean. Let's say you have an ambassador, and the ambassador is a very impressive person. And she's the ambassador to the king, let's say, right? So the ambassador, she comes along, she's well-spoken, she's thoughtful, she's intelligent, she's inquisitive. All of the things that, when you look at the ambassador, right, what do you think to yourself? She's really impressive. And it's possible that the ambassador will be so impressive that you won't see the king anymore, right? In fact, it's almost like, don't talk to me about the king. Talk to me about the ambassador. Right? Because that's the person who really wields the power. In other words, the ego of the ambassador could be so present that the king actually gets lost in translation. And you could begin to mistake the power of one for the power of the other. Like, for example, the Rambam says, the Rambam says, how did HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how did idolatry start? Originally they were serving Hashem. And then they looked at the sun and they said, we can grasp the sun. We can't grasp Hashem. The sun is something that's very impressive. So you could lose, a person could lose Hashem for the sun. Because the sun is very impressive. It's like right there in front of you and it's shining and it's bright. 
I'd rather serve, I'd rather serve the Son than serve Hashem. I'd rather be connected to the ambassador than be connected to the king. Of course, there's another type of ambassador. And this is, this is the egoless ambassador. This is the ambassador that's truly worked on themselves. That whenever you're speaking to the ambassador, what's the first words out of their mouth? The king says this. When you see the intelligence of the ambassador, what do you see? You see not the ambassador's intelligence, but the king's intelligence. When the ambassador is charismatic, you don't see the charisma of the ambassador. What do you see? The charisma of the king. In other words, it's possible for a person to pull back their ego. It's possible for a person to say, I know I'm taking up this space, but don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to what's behind me. I'll give you an example of this. Many years ago, when I was in seventh grade, I had a Rebbe whose name was Rav Mordechai Finkelman Shlita. Rav Mordechai Finkelman was a seventh grade Rebbe, and everybody in the school knew that it was ridiculous that he was a seventh grade Rebbe, because he was an exceptional tzaddik. And a couple of years later, he was hired to be the mashkiach of a yeshiva called Arachayim in Queens, and he left Darche and he became a mashkiach of a yeshiva, and he became a person who today is of world repute. And when he, when he got hired to be the mashkiach of Arachayim, everybody kind of went like this. Everyone kind of went like, yeah, that makes sense. Right? Like it was kind of ridiculous that he was a seventh grade rabbi. And I was in his shir. And I want to tell you, he was such a tzaddik, he never raised his voice. One time the entire year he raised his voice. And we knew it because he never raised his voice. And the entire year we ran roughshod all over him. The boys, Bar Hashem, were out of control the entire year. Rabbi Finkelman, he never lost his cool because he was like a really worked on person. And he would tell stories of tzaddikim and we learned the makos that year and he made sure that every boy knew every word. He was a real mechanic. He really got to us. But the thing I remember most of the way that uh, the, the year that I had under Rabbi Finkelman was the way that he davened. You know, most of us daven like, uh, you know, we take a sitter, we daven up the words. Daven up the words means we like just, you know, like, don't daven the words. You know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like where you just fly through the sitter and like at some point you're like, where am I? Right? Okay, but say there, yeah. With Rabbi Finkelman, you saw a man who was talking to Hashem. Most people chuckle like this, right? Not Rabbi Finkelman. Rabbi Finkelman was like a, like a reed swaying in the wind. And he had a very beautiful rhythm to it. So this was the rhythm. He would bounce on his toes three times, and then he would like shuckle like sideways like this. And it was like this very sweet, gentle, and I would watch him daven. I wasn't davening much myself back then. I, would, I think a lot of people are probably watching him daven. But the amazing thing, as I think back on it, was it wasn't Rabbi Finkelman that we were watching. It was like, it was like Hashem's presence was like clear. You know what I mean? Not that you could see Hashem, but you saw something that was like, it was about Hashem. It wasn't about Rabbi Finkelman. He wasn't trying to get anybody's attention. There was zero gaiva there. It was all like, I'm serving something larger than myself. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's posture towards Hashem is, I do not want to be seen. All I want is total presence of Hashem. So that nothing else, chas v'shalom, comes in the way of our relationship. Now when you meet people like this, it's deeply attractive, no? When you meet someone whose ego is so pulled back, 
that really all you're looking at is something greater than your, greater than themselves. It's almost like you want to be in their presence. It's comfortable to be in their presence. You know what I'm talking about? If you meet someone who's so kind, who's so gentle, who has no ego, what's the feeling? What's the posture that we have? What's the posture that we have? It's like that's a place where somebody else could be. Moshe Rabbeinu comes and he says to Klal Yisrael, I don't want to be the one to take you out. Hashem commanded me to take you out. I'm here not because I'm taking you out, but because Hashem is taking you out. And I just happen to be the vehicle. And in today's world, that's not very common. In today's world, what's it about? It's about attention. Everything is about attention. It's how many likes you can get on Instagram. It's how many retweets you can get on Twitter. Right? Even now in this room right now, there's people that I'm trying to reach that are bachal, not paying attention to me. I'm, I'm just letting them know this is my secret way of like trying to not embarrass them, but letting them know that I see them. Right? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you know what I'm saying? Right? Just to bring you back with me. Right? There's a certain gaiva. There's a certain like, yeah, but I need to do this right now and it doesn't matter what else is happening. It's not anybody's fault. I don't blame anybody. Chas v'shalom. But there's a certain, we live in a world that's very arrogant. It's a world of like, I show up to what I want to show up to. I'll give you an example of this. It's always bothered me. Let's say you have a teacher who comes in, specifically for this class. Not this, I don't mean this class. Specifically for a class here in Tomer Devora. And a girl goes, yeah, I'm not down to go. What is that really? What are you really saying? <coughs> I know that there's something greater than me. I know that there's something that I'm supposed to do. But, Lamaisa, what do I want to do right now? There's a yeshus to it. There's a gaiva to it. There's an arrogance to it. Somebody prepared a class. Somebody got in a car. They traveled to go somewhere. Right? This person is an actual human being. Right? But we treat them almost like, a, like they're not human. Right? They're just like this thing. I remember my father said this to me years ago. My father, when he found out that guys in my high school sleep through class, he's like, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. You go to sleep in class? So I said, yeah, like, you have those big, this is for the boys, you have like those big down jackets and this like mask, you know what I'm talking about, you ever see the boys with like the huge down jackets? The sleeves are pillows. If you really think about it, that's what the sleeves are. You put the two sleeves together, you've got a double pillow, and boys would just pass out. And my father said to me, he goes, a person is speaking to you and you go to sleep? So I said to my father, he's not speaking to me. He's speaking to the class. And my father, I remember my father was like, wow, you're a genius. You just made up this new thing called the class. Right? There's no such thing as the class. There's a group of people in a room. A person came to teach you. I go, no, 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 it's not, it's not teaching me. He's not teaching me. He's teaching the class. So I want to sleep. I want to be on my phone. I want... What's that? There's a human being that's talking to you right now. A person who traveled to get here. A person who took time away from their family. A person who's underpaid. But cares specifically about you. No, no, no. But I... I want to do this right now. It's the way we show up to life. Maturity... What does maturity really mean? It's the capacity to put somebody else's needs in front of yours. Right? What makes somebody a good parent? It's not that they can provide a lot of money for their family. You know how I know that? Because of all the kids throughout all the years that have come to me and go, yeah, my parents make a lot of money, but it's not what I want. What do you want? I want my parents' attention. Well, what does attention mean? Well, your parents had something, I know, this might sound like Musser, it is. Yeah, there's a, um, like your parents are human beings, did you know that? 
But your parents, if you think about what your parents do, right? Like, I want your time, I want your attention, I want your money, I want your stuff, right? I want you to drive me somewhere, right? That's what parents do. What are they really doing? If you unpack it, if you think about it, do you, do you think, I know your mothers all love you very deeply, but did your mother sign up to be a chauffeur? You know what the answer is? Yeah, sure she did. That's absolutely what she did. When you were born, she said, you're somebody whose needs come before my own. And a great mother, a great father is somebody who says, I have children, I have a responsibility, I'm putting that responsibility ahead. So that when you see a great mother, you know what you see? You see that she's totally been mevatal her own yeshes. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have needs, she has. It doesn't mean that she doesn't take care of her needs, she does. But why does she take care of her needs? So that she can take care of another. It's all about somebody else. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu's posture is. Moshe Rabbeinu's posture is, pay no attention to this. I want you, when you look at me, only to see HaKadosh Baruch That's what I want. Why? Because it has to be Hashem that takes you out of Mitzrayim. It can't be me. I'm only a man of flesh and blood. How big am I? I'm tiny man. I'm just a couple of feet by a couple of feet. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. You know, when we do a mitzvah, because of how much the mitzvah means to us, how big is your mitzvah? Lots of people say this all the time. They say, I want it to mean something to me. Let's think about that for a second. Let's unpack that. You want the mitzvah to mean something to you. Why? Well, because otherwise I'm not going to do it. Why? Because, it, because, what do you mean? I don't want to. But it's not about you. It's not about you. Imagine just take the same circumstance and make it about a husband and a wife. Imagine my wife came to me and she said, Mordechai, I'd like you to take out the garbage. And I turned to my wife and I go, but, like... I need to know why you want me to. Like, what, what is the benefit to me to take out the garbage? Like, what's the scharva onish? What's the reward punishment system here if I do or don't take out the garbage? What would my wife's response to that be? I hope. Right, your face said a tremendous amount right now. Right? I imagine that if I said that to my wife, she would look at me and go, what, what ha- you hit your head? What happened to you? People do that all the time. Yeah, but I want to make it meaningful to me. I tell my wife, I'll take out the garbage for you, but I need it to be meaningful to me. What would my wife say? But it's not about you. I asked you to do something. If I asked, like, what should your natural response be? Of course. If someone you love tells you, this is what I need from you, what's our immediate answer to that? Sure. And then afterwards, we might want to know why, not because of our own gaiva, not because we want it to be meaningful to us, but because... In order for me to connect better to you, I'd like to know why. Do you hear the difference? I could tell you the strangest things about my wife. Things that nobody else in this room is interested in. Why can I tell you those things? Because I've been paying attention. I, I, can, have a, I, I can have a doctoral degree in my wife. I know things about her because I've been paying attention for 20 plus years. I know that she likes underbaked caucus cake. <laughs> That's of no interest here. None of you care about that. I hope. Yeah, right. And it, like, don't take my moves, right? But like, <laughs> but, but, but I know why she likes it. She likes it because it reminds her of Sternberg. Because Shabbos morning they would serve, for those of you, ah, I see, the underbaked caucus cake, right? It's a blast of the past. It brings her back. So imagine if, I, if my wife said to me, like, actually, like, if you're going, like, if you're going, like, to buy something for Shabbos anyway, like, underbaked caucus cake, that would be like a special thing for me. Imagine if my response to her was like, yeah, but like, I want it to be meaningful to me. (laughs) 
What would you look for? What would, like what could her response possibly be? Yeah. Right, speechless, because it's the dumbest thing in the world to say. What do you mean? It's not about you. I asked you to do something for me. Hashem comes and he says, I'm asking you to do something for me. But it's our own ego that says, yeah, but it's got to be meaningful to me. Why? Calm down. It's actually paradoxical because if you would stop making it about you, then it could actually become meaningful. Because if it's about you, you know how big it'll be? It'll be a couple of feet by a couple of feet. It's going to be 5'3 Jewish girl. It's not going to be very important. But if you do something because an infinite God says to you, this is important, how big is your mitzvah? Your mitzvah is infinitely big. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Yaakov Avinu, I will take your children out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu is the shliach. Shlucho shaladam kamosu. You know what that means? And when you see Moshe Rabbeinu, you see Hashem. So the promise that Yaakov Avinu made, it was true. Moshe Rabbeinu comes and he says, Mi Anochi, who am I? What does Hashem say? I'll be right there. You're not doing this. Your job is to be mevatel yourself. That's why, what's the very first thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says in the, in the Asar Sadebros? Anochi, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. What do you mean you? Moshe Rabbeinu did it. Hashem was the one going to Paro. Moshe and Aaron was the one going to Paro. Who was the one that split the sea? It was Moshe Rabbeinu. It was Nachshem ben Aminadav. What does Hashem say? No, it was Anochi. It was Anochi. It was me. It wasn't you. There's a level of bittel that a Jew has to have to Hashem. There's a level of self-nullification that says, it's not about me. There's something greater than me. In the Haggadah it says that Hashem is the one that took us out of Mitzrayim. Anivolo malach, anivolo saraf. You remember those words? It was me, it wasn't an angel. It was me, I took you out of Mitzrayim. Asks the Gra, famous Kasha of the Vilnagon. What do you mean? It was Moshe Rabbeinu. And who's the only name that's not mentioned in the Haggadah? Everyone knows. It's every, every second grade Rebbe, right? Every third grade teacher that you had says, what's the, what's the Dvar Torah that you get on Pesach? Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned in the Haggadah. Says the Gra, sure it is. Sure it is. Of course it's mentioned in the Haggadah. It's every time you say Hashem. It's Vayaminu Ba'ashem Uba Moshe Avda. Hashem and Moshe are the same exact thing. If you see Moshe Rabbeinu, you see Hashem. So the Haggadah is telling you the story, not as it happened in the vessel. The Haggadah is telling you the story as it happened in the light. It's telling you the real thing. That's why the Gemara in Sota says that Moshe Rabbeinu never died. What does it mean, Moshe Rabbeinu lo meis? We mean Moshe Rabbeinu never died. We read it about it in the Torah. What does death mean? Death means that there's a part of you that can die, right? Moshe Rabbeinu was so bottle, he was so nullified to Hashem, which part of him died? No part of him could die. Because it was Kulo HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Today we're in Mitzrayim. Today we're in Mitzrayim, every one of us. Mitzrayim is not just the land of Egypt. Mitzrayim means a state of constriction and restriction. And every one of us is trying to go free from Mitzrayim. Everybody in this room, we're all trying to go free from Mitzrayims. Everybody's got their Mitzrayim. There's Mitzrayims of loneliness. There's Mitzrayims of depression. There's Mitzrayims of anxiety. There's Mitzrayims of meaninglessness. There's Mitzrayims of I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough. There's Mitzrayims of hopelessness. Everybody in this room, on some level, is in a state of Mitzrayim. How do you get out? 
The halacha of how you leave Mitzrayim is shlucho shal adam kamosa. You want to get out of Mitzrayim? You can't do it on your own. There's a Maimer Chazal that says, If God does not help you, it's not possible to do anything. A person in jail cannot remove themselves from jail. How do you bust out of jail? Imagine you're in jail in the old times, right? You're sitting in jail, and it's your birthday. And all of a sudden, the guard walks in and he says, Hey, here's your birthday, right? And then in the cake, there's a note. And the note says, at 5.45 exactly, stand as close to you can as the bars of your, to the bars of your cell. So you stand 5.45, you're standing there by the bars of your cell, and then somebody comes with TNT and he blows out the back wall. That's how you escape. Because a person cannot take themselves out of jail, and a person cannot take themselves out of Mitzrayim. For that you need HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The only way to give up our addictions in life is to turn towards a higher power. It's steps one, two, and three of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have to say, I can't get rid of this. I can't do this on my own. But if I turn towards you, I know you are infinite. I know you can help me with anything. And then your Shluch HaShaladim Kamosa. If you accept upon yourself the Shlichos of HaKadosh Baruch then all of a sudden it's not you anymore. It's not your willpower. It's His will. And now all of a sudden you're capable of doing tremendous things. Things that you never in a million years thought you were capable of doing. Why? Because you have an infinite amount of power behind you. You see, the problem is that we're being crushed under the burden of our own ego. Because if you lead a life, not you, we, me, if we lead a life of I need to control everything, I'm in charge of everything, then you're also stuck. Because what happens? If you're in charge of everything, okay, so you fix it. And very often in life we look around and we go, but I can't fix it. You can't fix your sister. I know you want to. Not your, you, you know what I mean. Not just your, your biological sister, though her too. But your friends. We're not in charge of the way that people show up. Husbands are not in charge of wives, and wives are not in charge of husbands. You can't control the way that people show up to life. What are you in control of? Asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for help. I can't handle this on my own. I need your help. I'm not good at creating strong boundaries. I need Hashem to help me create strong boundaries. It's not about controlling somebody else. But you know what happens? If you're a person who's constantly, I need to control this, all of a sudden you find yourself helpless when it comes to getting out of your own Mitzrayim. How come I can't do this on my own? Well, of course you can't do this on your own. Why would you be able to do it on your own? Why would Klal Yisrael be able to leave Mitzrayim? It doesn't make any sense. How could an enslaved nation for 210 years, how could an enslaved nation leave the most powerful nation in the world? On a microcosmic level, that's every one of us. Every one of us have been doing these habits for years. Just, just today in yeshiva, I was talking to a boy, and I said, this part of you, this is struggling with a certain thing. I said, this part of you, how old is it? Like, how old is it? How long have you been struggling with this? So he thinks to himself, and he goes, six. I said, wow. How old are you now? He goes, just turned 19. It's a long time. He goes, yeah, no, but I've been in yeshiva for like five months already. Why isn't it going away? I'm like, well, not very good at math, but 13 years on this side, four and a half months on this side, 
why would you think that you'd be able to just snap your fingers and all of a sudden change? You know, so many of us come to seminary with unrealistic expectations, right? Once I leave seminary, it's going to be great. I'm going to have it all figured out, right? No, you're not. Why would you? It takes time. It takes a lifetime of working on yourself to be able to achieve something. So you're sitting there going, okay, I promised myself this was going to be the last time that I do this. And, I, and then, Rebbe, you don't understand that very night that I promised myself that I wasn't going to do it. I did it again. Okay, thank you for betraying yourself. Just a couple of you, right? <laughs> I once had a girl at Tomer Devoro who, who told me, I can't come to your shear anymore. I said, why? She said, because in the shear I always commit myself to doing something, and then later that night I always do it. I always do the thing that I committed myself I wouldn't do anymore. So I'm just tired of feeling bad about myself, so I'm not coming anymore. I said, I hear you. <laughs> Makes sense. I probably wouldn't want to go to that shear either. The only way that we can actually stop is if we ask a higher power to help us. It's about becoming godly. Nullifying yourself to something larger than yourself. You know, the funny part in today's world is they think that this is the least inspiring thing you could tell somebody. Like, everybody's like, okay, we have to figure out how to make it relevant to these kids in order to get them to buy in. Wrong. <coughs> Wrong. You'll never make it relevant enough to them. I don't care how many... You have these rebellion, they come and they say, I know how I'm going to make Gemara relevant to the boys. I'm going to teach it to them, and I'm going to show them the halachas that come out of it. It's not going to work. Because at the end of the day, you know what the kid's going to say? Yeah, but I don't have an ox. And nobody I know has an ox. And I don't often find myself in a situation where my non-ox pours another person's non-ox. And the Rebbe goes, you may not have an ox, but you do have a car. And he goes, yeah, and I have insurance. Right? I'm like, come on. What are we talking about here? It's exactly the opposite. We need to be teaching kids today you're a shliach of Hashem. You have a godly part in you. Live for something larger than yourself. If you want to leave Mitzrayim, stop being trapped in a Mitzrayim of your own design. Turn your life over to God. Ask a higher power for help. Become a person that when people look at you, what they see is godliness. They see nullification. They see humility. And Be'ezah Hashem will be zeichah to leave Mitzrayim together.